COVID's disruption to education is all but over, yet the effects linger. But are we dealing with this all wrong? Is our return to normal actually the last thing we should be doing? And is there an opportunity to forge a new normal? I think you're going to like this episode, so stay tuned. Hi everyone, I'm Shane Leaning and welcome to TravelEd, a podcast about education across countries and cultures. I help international teachers, leaders and innovators unleash their potential. And in this show, I get to know them and explore the ideas that are shaking things up around the world. If you like this show and think others would too, please do help by following or subscribing and giving a rating wherever you listen. My guest today is Dr. Angie Wigford, educational psychologist based in Singapore. Angie's been pretty busy recently looking into how COVID has affected students and teachers in international schools. And in this interview, I started by asking what Angie's been up to. Let's jump right in. I was asked to give a talk in a conference called Bridging the Gap. And I enthusiastically said, yes, of course, I'll, I'll give a talk. And, and, and the gap was about the gap um, that COVID has ostensibly you know, provided us. And people have been talking about learning loss and a whole range of things. But I realised that it was ill-defined. And of course, um, when you look at the research, there's very little uh, that's been done because it takes a long time to get a paper out and do the the background. So bridging the gap was a bit of a challenge for me. I felt we didn't know what the gap was. So I um, I googled it, didn't get very far. I asked the teachers in my school, uh, Dover Court, uh, some very simple, two very simple questions. What was the impact of COVID on um, your students learning? And what was the impact of COVID on your students well-being? And this was proposed to teachers who were teaching in international schools in Asia three years ago and now, uh, just to keep Mm. it focused. Um, And they came back with so much, way more than I really had thought. And um, at all levels, it seemed that everybody felt that their area, either their subject or their kind of year group, um, was the most affected. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's funny how when you start looking, you can just uncover a load of things that you never even expected. And I love that you said that this is ill-defined at the minute. There's not been much research done. So you needed this insight to kind of deal with it in your role. Absolutely. I felt I couldn't really say very much until we had a bit more information. And I got way, way more information than I could handle um, so then I went further and, and wrote a more detailed questionnaire, which went out to the Phobosia schools in Southeast Asia. And I mainly got responses from Vietnam, Malaysia, Thailand and China um, and Brunei, actually. So it, it's not over the whole of Asia, but we got some very clear patterns Um, both in terms of differences in learning and differences in well-being. So it was very interesting. And this was from, this is with Phobosia schools, right? And Phobosia is for British international schools in Asia. So just British international schools with a focus, right? Absolutely. I felt there's so much written on this. I don't know if it's politically impacted on, but if you look at the global stats, it's 
a lot of it they talk about um disadvantaged communities mm-hmm. um and a range of other things which we really don't encounter so i was focusing on the international school community in southeast asia because i had access to the fobasia database and it, the whole thing is too huge otherwise that's right. I mean, international schools often get missed out in in kind of educational research. And you, I guess you're right to point out that it's a different context. They're different students from different backgrounds. So the research done on, you know, disadvantaged students, for example, doesn't doesn't match up. So, Andy, what was the key findings? What did you find once you sent this survey out? So there are a lot of findings in terms of learning. We looked at literacy and numeracy really interesting aspects of language. So the numeracy was not affected as much as literacy. Don't know why. Yeah. Um, But literacy, bear in mind that a lot of the students um, that we teach, their first language is in English. So, of course, they, they weren't in school for quite a long time. And they were usually in a home where they're other tongue was spoken. So they missed out a lot. So language has been huge. Um, handwriting is a real problem. I think that nearly all of the seven and eight year old boys in my school could get a diagnosis of dysgraphia. Um, and I think that's just because they've been playing computer games and not writing. <laughs> and even if they have, they certainly haven't been writing as much as if they were in school. So it's it's lack of practice. Um PE, uh, a lot of the PE teachers said that, um, and, and my information on health as well, said that children just aren't as healthy. Um, they've really missed out on three years, really, of not uh, doing all that running around, learning how to play games cooperatively, interactively, learning the rules of games, but also their physical health was really impacted wow in what in what way sorry angie in what way was their physical health what did you find there that's so interesting so i have a quote here from a secondary teacher in hong kong Mm. who said from a pe perspective there's a huge lack of progress due to having missing missed sporting activity in key years of physical development this has affected spatial awareness coordination control object control and team working skills, as well as knowledge of how to play and do a variety of things. So it's not just the health which was affected, it's it's all of those learning skills um, that you develop over those important years. That makes so much sense. So handwriting in, in terms of their literacy, we're talking general physical education skills, what else? Okay, so numeracy was very interesting and it highlighted to me um, the importance of language. So um, I asked about number awareness and the basic functions of numeracy. And most people said that they were more or less um, the same as before. Okay, some a little bit better, but not a massive deterioration. However, maths problem solving was worse than um, before when we did the comparison. And of course, math problem solving are math problems with um, which are couched in language. 
so for me it it highlighted the that the difficulties with language because I, as an educational psychologist I see this quite often students who ha- are having problems with language or have um, language difficulties which are quite specific they can often do fine in numeracy until you put your question um, into language so for example you know um, the cake has 20 pieces if there are five people at a party um, how many pieces will be left over if they all eat two pieces of cake now that's not very difficult at all and if you just wrote it as numbers that most many children would get it put it in language like that and a lot of children get very lost so the the fact there was a difference in people's opinions about numeracy um, that mass problem solving was worse but actual numeracy wasn't um, made me think that that really highlighted the language. Wow so language seems to be at the root of some of the some of the more significant issues especially given these students are multilingual and the language of school which is English is different to the language of home. Does that mean that they weren't getting good speaking opportunities during their home learning or just that they've had less time because I don't know other factors like social I guess I think one of the key aspects of the COVID era was that people had such different experiences so some children will have been online attending school as much as online school was possible, and they wouldn't have lost out so much. Others really wouldn't due to technological issues, etc. But even with top quality online learning, these children weren't, you know, asking good to go to the toilet in the middle of the lesson. They weren't having a discussion with their teacher about what happened in the playground. They weren't talking to their peers in English. Um, so language really, really suffered, and um, I think it's going to take some a lot of catching up. Did you find there was a difference between the different ages of students, like younger learners and teenagers? Yes, but also it was almost a difference in personality. There were some children who, at, at all ages, who just could not connect with online learning. Um, And there were other students who connected better with online learning and have found it very difficult coming back to school. We have a very diverse community in our school. And we've seen that some of our neurodiverse students, particularly autistic students, absolutely loved online learning. They did brilliantly well and are really struggling coming back to school with all the social demands that it has. Other students who maybe uh, need to move around a little bit more, maybe have concentration issues, uh, they really found it hard to engage with online learning. So never mind it being whether you've got the technology, what's going on in your household, which, of course, was massively significant. You've also got this kind of individual preferences aspect um, which affected children fascinating to hear that for some students this actually was an advantage and I I guess they're struggling now transitioning back into face-to-face full-time learning. Well this is a thing which I think is going to come out 
over the next couple of years is school avoidance. So we have students, and, and it was mentioned in quite a lot in the feedback in my survey, that there are students who have just put their foot down and are not coming into school for a variety of reasons. So there's an increase in something that we never really used to see very much in the international school system. We've definitely got an increase in school refusal for a range of reasons. That's so rare in international schools, especially because international schools are generally private schools that are paid for. So it's very, very unusual to hear that. It really is. One, one, one thing that we, we've picked up on is about attachment. Children who were at home long periods of time uh, with their families all the time are finding it very hard to separate. A lot of our um, little ones took much, much longer to come into school um, independently this year. And that was something that was reflected a lot in the survey. Um, and we also have secondary students finding it very hard. They're, they're worried about their parents um, for a range of reasons. And of course, anxiety has one of the things that come out in their survey is that anxiety has increased significantly for students and for parents. Can you speak a little bit more to that age difference you just mentioned? But like you mentioned, the young children there and the, the older learners having different different types of anxiety. There are so my the data on um, increased student anxiety was probably quite understandable, whereby um, younger students, so uh, key stage one, there was over fifty percent of respondents said that there was increased anxiety. Definitely, um, when we come to upper secondary, over eighty percent of respondents said that there was increased anxiety in their age range. So anxiety increased in all age groups, um, but more so in secondary. Uh, emotional regulation was something which has not improved over COVID. A lot of teachers will nod um, to this. So in lower primary and upper primary, about 80% of respondents said that their children were not as able to regulate their emotions as they had been. A similar class would have been three years ago. But in secondary, that was also um, about nearly 60%. So very significant. And you would have thought that secondary students, you know, you develop those emotional regulation skills in you know, primary seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve by twelve, um, many students are able to really manage uh, their emotions. But that, because possibly because of the trauma, that seems to be an area of really quite significant concern. Maybe that's something that uh, a lot of the teachers or adults watching can also connect with. You know, that it's affected us all, even though you know, not just not just students. That's a very good point. So my, the last question on my survey was, finally, are you finding teaching more challenging this academic year? And 65% of the people who responded said yes or maybe. One secondary teacher in Vietnam said, the gaps in learning are huge and difficult to anticipate. 
the social and behavioural changes are huge and difficult to anticipate. It takes a lot more energy and scaffolding from me to get them to work and participate with each other. Device addiction also makes planning more difficult. Students feel they can work independently, but they do not have the appropriate skills. So they're not willing to listen to advice, but then get easily offended when corrected. So it's not simply that during COVID, when students were engaged in home learning, that people are challenged. It's even now students are back in school because they've maybe lost some skills or they've 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 not developed in uh, socially or in group work and this kind of thing. That means actually that it, it's just continuing. The the effect of COVID is continuing. This is my main concern. The feeling that I got at the end of analysing all of this data is we are very quickly um, going back, far too far back to the old normal. Um, This new normal is not new enough. I don't think it's adaptive enough. I think it's way too much like the old normal. So people are talking about the new normal, aren't they? They're saying, okay, now It's three years since um, the pandemic really got going. Uh, We've been through a lot. Now we're back to a situation um, where people aren't wearing masks anymore. There's no more lockdown. We are in a new normal. My concern is, and the data that I've seen here and the comments from teachers, is that what we are hoping for is that our new normal is like our old normal. And we are just going back to doing much of what we were doing before, because for us, it was normal. um, And we are not really fully understanding the impact that this has had on children, because, of course, they don't really have a normal, particularly little children. This is their life. And I think there's a a mismatch or a, a lack of adaptation. Partly because we don't have the data, which is why um, I've been starting to collect and collate and and so much more work needs to be done in this area. In every single subject and every single age group, we need to know more. Um, And we also need to look at individuals and and see how it's affected them um, because they have had such different experiences. And of course, a lot of children have changed country in that time. So we can't know we can't make assumptions that um, we know what happened for them in COVID and lockdown because they were in a different country at the time and in a different school. So my hope is that we start to think, spend more time and attention. We're spending a lot of time and attention on getting things back to a normal, which we perceive as adults to be normal. And I think we need to do more to understand that everything has changed and we need to adapt. Um, My favourite approach to this is um, post-traumatic growth. We have all been through trauma. We can't minimise that. And this is about bouncing back better, stronger. Um, But it, it, it needs work. It needs and it needs information, possibly more than we have right now. Have you started to come up with any kind of ideas of what you think um, 
what you think this new normal should look like or what you think we should be doing? Have you have you spoken to anyone or had any ideas on that? Well, I've got ideas about it. Um, and I think lots of people have ideas about it in terms of the benefits, the things that we discovered in lockdown. I mean, students now are better at using technology. Uh, students in international schools from the people that we surveyed they're definitely better. Um, they're cleverer, they're more focused, um, they know how to search, they know how to um, manipulate software and hardware. So the, the benefits of that um, can be built on. Uh, students are also tend to be better at working independently um, because they've had to. Yes. <laughs> they're not so good at working in groups, and we know that kind of the social um, the impact of on their social skills is really highly significant. But there are some positives. This thing about children not coming to school, why can't we um, provide some kind of uh, asynchronous, is it asynchronous learning or some kind of online mm. learning for some of those students? Because it really does suit some students better. Um, so are we going in that way? Are we? Um, developing or are we you know our our education our pedagogy our educational approaches or are we just going back to what we had before I worry that that's what we're doing I really worry the same in so many conversations I've had with other educators or other leaders I think probably because of the trauma there there's a there's a, a need for so many educators to go back to that that old normal um, and not because the, you know, it's almost like, let's just, let's just get past it. It's done now. But from all the ways you've just described, there's such a, a need and importance to create this new normal, not just because as you mentioned, it's, there's been some negative things, but actually because it's brought about some positive, um, things we can capitalize on students, like their ability to work independently, like their use of tech, which allows asynchronous learning to be more of a part of what we do absolutely absolutely and I'm really glad that you've talked to other people about this uh, because I think you're you're right teachers were we were all traumatized and teachers are scrabbling to get back and things are harder for them it's very very clear in the comments in my survey that they are trying very hard to accommodate really a wider range of difficulties and a, and a higher number of individual student difficulties um, and you know the the dysgraphia that you see in you know young boys uh, we just see so much of it um, there are other things there are um, you know there are attachment difficulties there are um, very high levels of anxiety um, depression and, you know, we have to be careful not to pathologize students and to um, help them readjust. But we need to readjust first, which is exactly what you said. By pathologizing students, you mean we sometimes are misdiagnosing them with things that are not actually actually real or just to do with their experience? That's a really good question, actually, because, for example, there are some students who are having a great deal of trouble just readjusting to school. 
So they look like they've got ADHD. So they probably meet the criteria, for example, for ADHD. But if we understood what was going on for them and enabled them to uh, put other things in place over and above what we would normally, maybe their behaviour wouldn't appear so extreme. Um, it's definitely the case with some students who probably, you know, just haven't had that coaching in or or, or the discipline of sitting down, which, of course, our education system really um, uh, requires very high levels. And, and if you're at home, you don't have to do it to you. You can get up, you can turn your screen off. And so a student who maybe wouldn't have presented in this way if they'd come through the past three years in a school, maybe presenting in a way that causes them to meet the criteria of uh, difficult, serious difficulty. Um, but that's just because they haven't been through school all that time. Totally. I mean, even I'm, even I'm struggling, you know, when I've gone back into my office, my attention span and I know I'm not alone with this. It, it, I just feel like, oh gosh, I just my focus has gone on my ability to flow because I'm so used to getting up and down and and uh, and switching through a million online meetings. The idea of focusing on one task has been something that I've not nurtured for a while. Well, it's amazing that you say that, and thank you for saying that because attention, the two big things that really came out with uh, when I asked people about how their students coped with the a school day was attention and the other was tiredness mm. um, and it was interesting that particularly in secondary but it, it gradually increased from lower primary upper primary lower secondary to upper secondary but the much more the data for much more and more tiredness in the school day um, went up to 70 percent for secondary Wow. And it was 50 for primary. So teachers are perceiving that their students are more exhausted by school. And that's going to impact on learning and ability to maintain focus. And of course, again, lots of potential reasons for that. There's so much in this conversation, Angie. It's, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Do you think some teachers are kind of rising to this challenge? And there are there are schools out there who are really kind of working on that post-traumatic growth and, and establishing some new norms? I hope so. I think what a lot of schools are doing, I don't think we have the information that we need really, um, but individual schools are best placed to get individual data on their students and um, applying a, a really a very much more individual approach than maybe they have done in the past, particularly when they see students who are struggling um, also with their teachers, um, you know, well-being is so important. And one of the other things that I was going to say, which is um, a real positive, massive positive, particularly for me as an education psychologist, to come out of the COVID pandemic is that well-being is now well and truly on the agenda. And we were fighting for it before and, and now it's there. So that's a massive positive and I think that will help it will help us create this new normal absolutely I I've experienced the same thing and I think it's 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 really wonderful just I mean just even looking online um, to see how many people are talking about well-being and, and coming up with 
ideas and resources and how many um, support service organizations are kind of really jumping onto onto this to support schools is really is really fantastic before we finish angie is there anything else that we've not covered today that you'd like to share regarding um, the research you've done i think one of the things that i i haven't talked about that i do think is also very positive is when i ask teachers about students curiosity and enthusiasm for learning that definitely hasn't changed um, and in fact, it has um, many people said that it was better and hardly anybody said that it was worse. So we haven't turned children off learning. You know, we haven't changed children. We've just given them a different learning experience. Um, what I would really love to use this, you know, my my ability to comment here for is for there's so much here no one individual or it's going to be very, very hard to identify children's needs and teachers' needs in a general way. So the way forward is a well-being approach, which is individualised for teachers and for students. And if schools can take that on board, I think they will be able to create an environment in which the students and the teachers can flourish while remembering that maybe this is a great opportunity to make big changes and and to have the confidence that, yes, remember, this did work in lockdown. Why don't we still do it? Why do we have to go back to this when you see individuals um, and groups of individuals struggling? Angie, I'm glad your curiosity led you down to start to investigate this this a little more because there's so many fascinating um, findings that you've you've made, and I hope for for listeners, I think this is going to be uh, hopefully enable them to start some conversations within their schools about what is what is their new normal, what what did they learn from from that time, and where where do they go in the future? Yeah, I hope so. My mind is buzzing after that chat. So in addition to what we already know about the social impact of COVID disruption, we can also see it in areas like language and literacy, most likely due to the number of multilingual learners in our international schools. But it's also shown how students and teachers have adapted and created opportunities for a new normal in education, one that embraces ideas like asynchronous learning, Angie's findings have ramifications for international educators everywhere and we should be discussing this in our schools. If you're creating new norms in your school, please do get in touch on social media or email using the links in the show notes. Travel Ed is hosted and produced by me, Shane Leaming, original music by Guillermo Silva. If you like this episode, please help by spreading the word and clicking those three little dots and sharing the episode on social media. I'll see you next week.